Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate that. So we are continuing our look at the Gospel of Matthew, although sometimes, if you listen just day to day, you might not know it. We're talking today, we're we're continuing our look at the second chapter of Matthew, which is the visit of the wise men. So these these wise men from the east come into town, and they want to ask a question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come here to worship him. And then Herod, the king, hears about it, and he's greatly troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And so he assembles the chief priests and the scribes and says, where's this king going to be born? And they say, he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, for it's written by the prophet. And then they, they, read the, they, they recite the prophecy to him. Um, they're not interested. They just know, right? I mean, it's an interesting thing that they just seem completely uninterested in that reality. So what we're having to look at is who are these wise men? And so that finds us in the book of Daniel. And so we looked at the first half of the book of Daniel yesterday, and so today we're going to look at the next part of that, because Daniel was the one, the reason that they're here is Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Israel taken into Babylon. He was a young man, but he was one of the brighter young men in in uh, Israel. And so they bring he and three of his companions, who we know mostly as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that, but those are their Babylonian names, and Daniel's Babylonian name was Sheshbazar. So they're, they're taken in, and, and they are in, into the inner sanctum and raised up within the, um, the uh, kingdom. And it's so that they can be an example for the rest to say, hey, it's better to be a good little Babylonian than it is to be an Israelite. You know, our, our culture is superior, our gods are superior, and all this. And so what, what we've seen is Daniel comes and stands before the king because the king's best men, his magicians, his diviners, his Chaldeans, are not able to tell him what he wants to know, which is, I had a dream that troubled me. I need you to tell me what the dream is, and I also need you to tell me the interpretation of that dream. And so they've come and said, nobody can do that. Nobody can do that at all. And in fact, they said that that the only one who could do that are the gods, and they don't dwell with flesh, which is exactly the opposite of Judaism. God can reveal it to mankind. He has done that in the past. He did that in Egypt with Joseph, who interpreted dreams. He interpreted dreams of his fellow prisoners and then interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And because of that, was raised up to be sort of the financial leader of Egypt under Pharaoh. Here, what ends up happening is Daniel ends up being raised up into a similar kind of position as one of the highest-ranking members in in both the Babylonian kingdom as well as the Persian kingdom. Now, Daniel never comes back from uh, exile because he's an old man by the time that the exile period is over with. So what we saw yesterday was Daniel comes before the king and says, hey, you know, the reality is, is that I serve the God of heaven. There's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he's made known to Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Now, the king doesn't understand that. He's just troubled by it. And then he goes on to say, but as for me, the mystery has been revealed to me. But not because I'm all that special, but because the king, God wants you to know, king. So now he says, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze. So what you hear here is things of diminishing value. 
as we go from head down. The head is gold, chest and arms are silver, middle and thighs are bronze, legs are iron, feet partly iron, partly clay. So this thing's crumbling as it goes down. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image, which means that God did it. It struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken into pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So there's this terrifying image that's before him. And this thing is, is like I said, is diminishing in value and strength, actually, as it goes down the body of this thing. And this stone that's cut away by not a human hand then breaks this whole thing into pieces because it aims it at the feet. And when he does, everything else collapses around it. And then it blows away like chaff on the summer threshing floors. So the stone then becomes a great mountain filled, filling the whole earth. He says, this was the dream. Now we'll tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory. That, that, all that sounds familiar, right? The king of kings, and he has power, might, and glory. That sounds very much like the kind of language we use in worship, that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And then it sounds kind of like Revelation 4 language, describing things like power, might, and glory to God. And what, what Daniel's saying here is that, that you are that king now. However, that king was given to you by the God of heaven. So you're, you're not everything. There's one above you, and he's the one who gave it to you. And into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You're the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over the, all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. So you're going to be subsumed by another. Another will be greater than this kingdom and this kingdom and this kingdom. And that's sort of the idea of the Third Reich, frankly, is that that was the third great kingdom and to be the final kingdom. And so it sees the ones before it as having gone away, but it doesn't see its own demise. He said, as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, this last one will. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly clay and partly iron, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. So God's kingdom will ultimately be established on the earth, and it will destroy all earthly kingdoms. So he's telling him, hey, you got an eschatological dream. It's about the end of all times. You're not going to live forever, but the one who has given you the kingdom will ultimately be the one who is the king of all the earth. He is king of kings and lord of lords, and he doesn't receive that from anyone's hand. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Right now, you're the king of kings, but only because he gave it to you. And so ultimately, he's just saying, hey, ultimately, this is what's going to happen. At the end of days, at the time 
of God's choosing, he'll establish his kingdom on the earth, and all earthly kingdoms will go away. And what happens? What's his response? He fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering, an incense, be offered up to him. Incense was something that that was given to kings, believe it or not. That's exactly what what would happen, is, is that one of the things they demanded as tribute from their people was incense, but it was only offered to a god. And pagan kings like Nebuchadnezzar and the Pharaoh in Egypt declared themselves to be gods, so they would receive incense from their subjects. What is one of the things the Magi bring when they come to see the baby Jesus? Incense. And so Nebuchadnezzar sees Daniel here in this exalted role, almost like a god, and offers him incense to Daniel. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. So he sees Daniel's God as greater than the gods of Babylon. That's a remarkable thing. I mean, it truly is, because the Babylonians honestly thought they were the most advanced civilization on earth, and the reason they believed themselves to be the most advanced civilization on earth was because in many ways they were. They possessed knowledge, and they possessed abilities and skills that the rest of the world didn't have, and they thought, and I believe they were right, they got it from the gods. They thought that the gods had revealed this to them. If you look at Sumerian literature and Sumerian religious literature in particular, and and this goes all the way back to the time of the Tower of Babel and before because Nimrod was the king at that time. And so Nimrod supposedly got his powers and got his wisdom and knowledge directly from the gods, the ones that we read about in the first four verses of Genesis 6 when the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took them as wives for themselves. And if you read the book of Enoch, then what you see is is that they then revealed to humankind secrets that were not proper for sinful humanity to know. These are, these are secrets and things hidden and locked into the universe that sinful humanity couldn't know, but God intended mankind to know these things and to put these things to good use. But once we chose the knowledge of good and evil, now those things have to be hidden from us. But the Babylonians believed that they were given this wisdom and this power and this knowledge directly from the gods. And so when when the Babylonian and the Chaldeans, the diviners, the magicians, all those guys said, the gods don't live with men. They, they don't any longer, but they had already given wisdom. But what Nebuchadnezzar sees here is, is that, that Daniel's God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal this mystery. So this mystery exceeded anything that his own gods were able to do. Daniel, he sees, has a direct pipeline to this God of gods. And so he worships. But Daniel has already said, this is not about me, it's God who revealed these things. He's the revealer of mysteries. And he chose Daniel to be the vessel through which that mystery was revealed. And then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. 
sounds very much like what happens when Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream of seven uh, years of, of feast and then seven years of famine and says, what do we do about this? And he says, here's what you do. And he comes up with the plan for managing the feast times in order that he could then manage the, fa- the famine times. If we manage our assets now and we don't get carried away and consume everything, then we'll have enough when the time of famine comes. And here, exactly the same thing happens with Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. He raises Daniel into the same basic position that Joseph occupied over in Egypt. He makes him the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. So these guys that he's brought in, supposedly the wisest men on earth because they gained this wisdom from their gods, he says Daniel's going to be over them. Daniel's going to be over all those guys. And then Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. And so they they became sort of the, the managers of the province of Babylon, and David, or not David, Daniel stayed there in the king's court, in the, in, in the king's place. Now, does this mean that, that Nebuchadnezzar became a worshiper of Yahweh? Well, no. No. He still had a lot of ego. He still had the ego that says, well, God appointed me for a reason. He may be God and all that, but he saw something in me and set me up in this place, and so... Then he made an image of gold that was 60 cubits in height. This thing's 90 feet tall, and its breadth was six cubits. So it's nine feet across. It's huge. Sets it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. It's very similar to the Tower of Babel in its same way. And so he brings all these things together, and he dedicates this thing. And then all the people who were in charge came, and they saw this thing, and, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you're commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, when you hear the sound of all these instruments, you're to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and whoever doesn't shall be cast into the fiery furnace. And so when they blew these things, all these instruments, all the people would bow down, except for the three guys who were over the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then they get cast into the fiery furnace, and God delivers them. So God's showing himself to this this pagan king over and over again, and he sees, he looks into the fire, fiery furnace that has burned up his own men who threw them into the fire, and he says, didn't we cast three men bound in the fire? And the counselor said, yeah, and he said, I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. What would he have seen? He would have seen a shining thing because that's what the gods looked like. That's, that's the image that he set up was a, a, a golden image. It would have been a shining thing that he saw. So it would not have looked like a man. It would have looked like a son of the gods. It would have looked like this shining thing, because all those are regularly referred to as shining things. And so then he calls them out of the furnace, and they come out, and and they didn't even smell like smoke. And he answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, because that's who he saw in the, the fourth, and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command. 
So you trusted that God, and that God was able to deliver you, and you set aside the king's command, and you yielded up your bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god, and therefore I make a a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there's no other god who's able to rescue in this way. And then he promoted them in the province of Babylon. So what we've seen is this pagan king has again and again been given a revelation of the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so not only has the king seen this, so have his counselors, so have his advisors, these men who become ultimately the magi that we meet in the gospel. And then he turned after that and he says, uh, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And he's right. He's absolutely right. But it's a bizarre thing. And so we're going to continue our look at Daniel as we, as we kind of run through the book of Daniel in order that we can see why these wise men from the east, this magi, would have come at this sign of the one who is to be the king of the Jews. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit.